Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. We have come to our last Sunday, uh, seven Sundays we've had of a journey with God uh, in prayer. And uh, today we started in Genesis 18, and we've kind of been moving through the scriptures until we're at the other end of the Bible and we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And so um, I'm going to pray with you as, as we open this scripture together. Father, we're opening the scriptures together, but we're asking that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would open us up uh, like a book, that you would open us, Lord, and uh, do a beautiful and deep work in us, just like a mechanic does a work under the bonnet of a car and opens the engine up, just like uh, a surgeon Uh, does reparative work to a body by opening up someone. Um, We're asking, Lord, that you, God, would do good things in us, Uh, Lord, as we look at this word and as you open it to us, Lord. We thank and praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's prayer, uh, remember that Paul was a Christ hater and he became a Christ lover. A lover. He loved Christ. He, he was someone that um, hated the Christians and he went around ravaging the church with murder in his heart to kill the Christians. But God in his grace intervened in his life became a lover of Christ, and in fact a servant of the gospel he calls himself, giving himself uh, to, to Christ and to the gospel. Because of his boldness um, for Jesus, he ends up in prison um, and he actually writes this prayer from prison. 
This is a prayer that, that comes from someone in the dungeon. Probably chained to a guard. So imagine this as he writes this prayer and this whole letter. Probably a chain around one hand or one leg and chained to a guard and uh, in possibly squalid conditions and not bad enough that he couldn't write so he's able to write this letter. But you've got to imagine someone that is um, got great opposition against him. You might have thought to yourself, if you or I were in that position, that we would say, God, Jesus, I thought you were the saviour. I thought you were the king over all and that I was your servant. I'm not supposed to be in a prison. Something's gone terribly, terribly wrong. Maybe you aren't who you're supposed to be. Maybe that's the sort of thing that would happen. in. But that's not what happened in Paul's heart. Uh, deep in his heart arises a prayer. A prayer. A prayer um, to begin with, a prayer of thankfulness. It's a prayer of power and of hope. And so... The way it begins, in fact, I'm jumping to verse 16. It says, Paul's writing to these Ephesian Christians. So they're Christians. And he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so now I'm thinking of a man um, in squalid conditions, hasn't been able to wash for a long time, chained uh, to a guard, Uh, often in darkness and um, restrictions in food. And he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. So here is this man and there's this thanksgiving just flowing from his heart, from jail, saying, I I just can't stop saying, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for these Ephesians. I've never met them. I don't know them. But what I've heard is that they have got faith. I've not stopped thanking you, remembering you in my prayers. I remember writing a prayer email years ago, and uh, I'm still writing it actually, but I would often put in, please pray for our city, please pray for Wagga, still on my heart. But one day someone came to me and said, what do you mean pray for Wagga? What are you supposed to pray for? I mean, what, what are you saying when you say pray for Wagga? And I think that's a good question. And Paul, when he prays for Ephesus and prays for the Ephesians, he spells it out. What would you pray? What would your prayers be? Well, listen to Paul's prayer, his prison prayer. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. (laughs) And when I read that, I think, are you serious? Can you even pray that? Is that even allowed (laughs) to pray that God would give someone who's already a Christian the Spirit? (laughs) But that's what Paul is praying from his prison cell. 
praying for this church. And he's asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, not any God, not the God of Buddha, not the God of Islam, no Krishna, not that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the God. (laughs) Him, I'm asking him. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. You might have thought, that he'd pray, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you'd have a good season, that you'd get some rain, because I know you need rain. That's not a bad prayer. Or you might have thought he'd say, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you'd have good health, because I know some of you are sick, really, really sick, and there's no hospital. And I'm praying that you'd be well. And that's a good prayer. Or you might have thought he'd say, I'm praying for you guys in Ephesus, For safety. I'm in prison. I'm persecuted. People hate me because I love Christ and I know they're going to hate you. And I'm praying earnestly that you'll be safe and that you won't go to prison. That's a good prayer. But it's not what Paul prays. (laughs) He prays for something amazing. Amazing. He prays that I'm asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, might give you the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit, the Spirit of God coming to you, living in you. That's what I'm praying. Something extraordinary. The Spirit would be granted to you. And it's not only that, that may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know God better. Do you know the Holy Spirit is described in different ways? The spirit of holiness, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ. But here it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what I'm praying for you, Paul says. That word revelation is to do with the word reveal. So when we can't see something, but when it's revealed, we we see it. And Paul is praying that I'm praying that the things that the Spirit would be given to you so that things would be revealed, <laughs> that your heart would see, that you could see. Do you know when you've got a little kid? I, I think all parents do this. You tell me if I'm right. So um, look at little Mackenzie down there. She's a little tiny baby. And um, someone gets their little child and they take them to the window and they say, look, look at the little bird. Look at the beautiful bird. Or they take the little boy and they say, look at, look at the ducks outside. Have a look at the ducks. Or look at these, look little baby. I'm gonna, they see the dolphins in the, in the ocean or something. They grab the child and run the child. Look, look. Why, why do parents do that? Is it not that they are longing for this little one to capture something of the beauty, something of, of, of the greatness of, the, of, of God's creation? They're wanting this child, their little heads flopping around and, and they don't know where to look, but they... they but, but they want them to begin to see something really beautiful. And you see, Paul is saying, if we're going to see something absolutely beautiful, 
of God. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. The Spirit is, in my, in my analogy right now, is, is like a window through whom we can see God. If, if, the, if only we are going to be blind. So often my heart is blind to the greatness of God and his greatness and his splendor. I just go through life and, and not know. I not know. And Paul's saying, yes, Ephesian Christians, you can't see. And I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation so that you may know him better. You might know him better. Do you know in the garden in, in, in Genesis and, and, and there was sin, Adam and Eve sinned, and then this what used to be fellowship between human beings and God, this beautiful rich fellowship and a knowledge of God was stopped and now there's just this broken relationship. Have you ever had a broken relationship with someone and you just cut them off, you never want to see them again, you, 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 they are... There's a broken relationship and, and you, you go more and more distant. You don't know them anymore. You don't know them anymore. And that's how it was and is in, still in this world, the, 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 this broken relationship between us and God. And we can't see him, can't see his splendor, can't see his love, can't see his majesty, can't see his goodness and his power. And what God is doing in Christ when Jesus comes as a little baby and grows and teaches us and lives with us and dies on a terrible wicked cross and rises again in power is God is healing the relationship between, the, between himself and us human beings. He's healing so that we might know him again that we might know him. I am praying, Paul says, to give, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so, that, revelation so that you would know him. That you'd know him. Do you know? Do you know the Lord? I had a friend, I've still got a friend, and he said, you can't sit down... Um, he lives in Adelaide now. He says, you can't sit down and have a caramel slice with God. And I think what he means is we can't see him. We can't touch him. But brothers and sisters, if we have the spirit, we can know him. We can know him. If a boy falls in love with a girl... They just want to be together and they just want to know long hours on the phone, long, long hours on the phone and long hours together. I want to know, just intimately know. And God is saying, if you want to know, then you need the spirit. You will not know. Oh, yeah, you can accumulate lots of things in your head. You can even do a lot of things for God. But to know him, to know him, you need the spirit. And there's detail in this prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Did you know that your heart has eyes? And, and this prayer of Paul's is that he's saying, I'm praying that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened. If you, 
if someone is blind, and you probably know people that are blind, they're blind, and they've got a stick, and they're going around tapping, and they can't see. They can't see um, the chair. They can't see the road. They can't see. They're blind. They can't see beauty because they're blind. And Paul is praying this prayer. He's saying, I'm praying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. The eyes of your heart. Do you know it doesn't matter how much a blind person tries to see? They can't. (laughs) They can't see. They're just blind. They cannot see no matter how hard they try. They can't see. And the same true for our spiritual blindness, the eyes of our hearts. We cannot see. We're stumbling around in the darkness unless the Spirit comes. It opens, enlightens our, the eyes of our hearts. And so Paul is saying, that's what I'm praying for you, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Do you remember, I think it's in, it's in Two Kings, um, where Elisha is being surrounded by the king of Assyria. And um, the king of Assyria just wants to kill this guy. Just wants to, it's, just, it's a, a whole army against one. And so the king of Assyria brings this army, surrounds Dothan, where Elisha is. And Elisha's got a servant. And Elisha's servant goes out and has a look outside and he says, oh, there's this army arrayed against the horses and chariots. And Elisha says, the one that's with us is, is greater than them. And the servants, what are you talking about? And Elisha prays and says, God, would you let him see? And he did see. He saw chariots of fire. All around, chariots of fire. He hadn't seen. All he could see was the physical. Do you know, so often all we can see is the physical and we need the spirit of holiness, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can see, we can see that this is not all, this is not all there is. Three things in this prayer, three details. The first one is hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. One of the most terrible things that can happen to us is when we lose hope. It wouldn't surprise me if there's people in this room that uh, as we sit here this morning, your hope, your hope has evaporated. It's gone. You just lost hope. And you just don't know what to do. Don't know how to get it back. And Paul is praying here for hope. It's important that you know that in the Bible, hope is not um, what we think of as hope. I hope it rains today. Or I hope um, 
the money comes through today or something. And you're not sure. Maybe, maybe not. Hope in the Bible is not like that. Hope in the Bible is a sure and certain hope. It's a future faith. It's something definite. And, and, and Paul is praying, I'm praying that you would know the hope to which he has called you. Do you know, Christians, that if you are believers, if you have trusted in Christ, there is a hope. That, that, that it's a sure and certain hope of something good in the future. Yes, there may be hardship now. Yes, you've got difficulties in your business. Yes, you've got difficulties with your health, your mental health, your, your physical health, with relationships, with finances. Yes, there's every kind of um, difficulty, but Paul is saying, I am praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know the hope There is a great and glorious hope at the end. Look, we are here for this long. (laughs) We're here for a tiny minute. And at the end of this time, there is a tremendous hope. And Paul is saying, you will not know that unless the Spirit comes and reminds you that we have got this great hope, the hope of Christ. The hope that that in him we are saved. And Paul says, I'm praying for that, that you would know hope. If you were in a concentration camp and it's World War II and you're locked in the concentration camp and you're emaciated because you haven't had enough food and, and the conditions are really bad and, and there's relationship difficulties and you've lost you used to look at the photos that you kept, scrap, little scraps of photos of your family, and you looked at those. Um, but now the hope is gone. But if news comes, if there's news that comes, and the news says that the Australian army has conquered, and you, there's going to be freedom coming, and you can hear the army advancing and you know that's your hope is rising you still might be in the concentration camp nothing has changed in one sense you're still there and yet you know there's a hope and you can go through anything if you've got hope and I want dear brothers and sisters for you no matter what you're facing or what difficulties you have for there to be a great hope of Christ rising in your heart That's the first thing. The second thing is riches. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you might know the hope of your calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is not probably what you expect it is. Most of the commentators that are scholars on Ephesians um, agree that this riches, what is, it, what is inheritance? If um, my dad dies and he gives, leaves to me a great stack of money, then that's an inheritance. I get something. I get an inheritance. And this is talking about an inheritance, but it's not what you think it is. Most commentators believe that this is us saying, God saying to us, I want you to know that you are my riches, my holy people. 
You are my riches. You are my inheritance. When I look at you, you're precious to me. <laughs> you are precious to me. When, when people come into faith and they come into the kingdom, you are my inheritance. I love you. You're, you're just my, my treasure. And I'm asking, Paul says, that the Spirit would come and enlighten your heart that you might know just how precious you are, what a tremendous riches you are to me. Do you know that you're treasured by God? He considers you riches. He loves you. It's his holy people. And we don't know that unless the Spirit teaches us. The third thing here is power. I pray that out of his glorious riches he might, he, he, that, that he might enlighten your, your eyes to know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. But there's something more. And this is his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, brothers and sisters, I tell you what, I need the Holy Spirit to know this because otherwise I will never, never, ever know it. (laughs) the incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you know that if you're a believer in the living one, in the one who has died and risen again, that there is an incomparably great power for you? I know. We think that we're just sort of knocked around and we're just going from one pillar to post and we're weak. and we're. But, but the scriptures are saying if you have trusted in Christ, you have been translated from death to life. <laughs> you, if you've trusted in Christ, you are no longer under the kingdom and the dominion of darkness where you're totally wrecked and, uh, and robbed of power. You've now got an incomparably great power for us who believe. If you believe, there is a power for Christians. And in fact, it doesn't even stop there. It is incredible. It says that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you know the power that you have if you've trusted in Christ and come from darkness to life? That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. (laughs) You might have thought he would say that power is the same power as he exerted when he split the seas and they went through. Or that power was when he spoke and the galaxies came into existence. But he, he, he reached for the greatest power of all and that is conquering death. When, Christ, when God exerted his power in Christ to conquer death, that power is now yours. Believers. And you will not know that. Unless the Spirit comes and shows you that this, you are not, you are are sons of the King. The right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, speaking about Christ, 
power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Listen, it doesn't matter what name. It doesn't matter which name. In heaven or on earth or under the earth, in this age or the age to come, whatever name you want to think is a powerful name, Jesus' name has got greater authority and his power is for his people. We are, we, look, you say to me, David, you're, you're too excited. You're just sort of too, too excited. Just settle down and live a normal life. And I want to say to you, listen to what the scripture... It's not me. Listen, please, to what the scriptures say. We are blind. We are totally blind. We will not know what we need to know. We are not playing games. Christianity is not just a game that kids play. This is true. This is a glorious thing. And Paul is praying from prison for people that they might know a few things. Not mostly that they would have a great time here or there or whatever, but that God would give them the spirit. They would know. And I believe that um, myself and us as a church need this prayer that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we might know the hope of our calling the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe it changes our joy oh yes it does it changes everything it changes our courage Yes, it does. It changes our love. It changes our patience. It changes our generosity. It changes everything because we are believers and the eyes of our heart is enlightened. So I'm just encouraging you, brothers and sisters, um, to pray this prayer. To hope again. Do you know... As I was sitting around my kitchen table last night preparing this, I said, Lord, it's one thing to preach it, but Father, we need it. We absolutely need this. We need your spirit to work in us, and we're hopeless. We're blind until you do it. And so that's what I'm praying, and that's what I prayed for me, and I prayed for us, saying, Lord, open our eyes that we might see. Let's pray again. Father, Father, we are asking that you would come by your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, Lord. Lord, that we would know you better, that we'd know you better. And Lord, that we know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord, please would you do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.